Welcome to the Let's Develop podcast, a forum where we explore how to transform ourselves and the world around us through the art and science of performance and development. In each episode, we interview people from across Spaceship Earth who actively co-create preferred futures for themselves and the world around them by enacting development-driven approaches to social change. Today, I had the great fortune of talking with Aaron Feinstein. Aaron is a film and theater director, musician, arts educator, entrepreneur, and disability advocate based in New York City, New York. He's the founder and executive director of Action Play and the creator of the AIMS program, which devises inclusive performances through improvisation by individuals on the autism spectrum and with related conditions and disabilities. Aaron is also the creator of the Action Play Chorus that was featured on the HBO and Comedy Central broadcast of Night of Too Many Stars. He co-directed the widely celebrated pilot program, The Miracle Project, with Elaine Hall, which was the subject of the 2006 HBO two-time Emmy Award-winning documentary, Autism, The Musical. There's a lot of fun we have in this interview, a lot of cool and deviant conversations. or diverging? One of the two. Anyway, have fun. Enjoy. Cheers. So, <laughs> hi, Aaron. Hi, Art. <laughs> Four years later, hey? Is it, has it been that long? It has. I remember you and I randomly in that bustle and hustle of performing the world in 2014 kind of like diverged from the rest of the group and went out for what, lunch, I think it was. That's, Do you remember? That's right. We did go out for lunch. It was, yeah, we went to, we, yeah, we, we got a beer and we hung out and we chatted a bit. It was great. Yeah, it was lovely. And we haven't spoken since. <laughs> but here we are here we are yeah so question for you what is your best hope for a conversation today i think i'd like to have fun i don't know if that's a a a, a too too small of a goal but i i i i hope we have a good time i i i want to enjoy this experience and mm. i think I think that applies to kind of where I'm at in my life in general. I'm just trying to figure out how to enjoy these moments as much as possible. That's awesome. I also want to have fun. Picky promise? Can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can see you, but no one else can see us. So I know. We, we can, can we imagine can... we're doing Here, over, over video. There we go. We, have, right. we have pinky promised... Uh, maybe on record, maybe the very first pinky promise over video. We don't know. We can't. We cannot deny this or confirm it. But historic, ladies and gentlemen, historic. That's right. Yeah. Uh, random here. Random question. It's popping up. So you're talking about how 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 do you you know how do you enjoy or have fun in your sort of day to day life, right? That's sort of what's important to you at these days, right? I think. I think. It, I had a little epiphany. I took a trip to San Francisco for 
two weddings, actually. It was just mm. remarkable that I had two friends that were getting married on the same weekend. Wow. And I, I kind of made this goal that I was really going to enjoy. It was such a unique opportunity to, I, ha I haven't really spent much time in San Francisco and it was just such a unique opportunity to get up and be amongst a lot of people I really love. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I want to really enjoy this as much as possible. And I, I just kind of set that as an intention. Yeah. And it was funny. I really did. <laughs> so I guess, I guess what I mean by that is like, uh, for me, you know, life, there's so many moments in life that I think you get so tied up in the work and the, the, the burden and the tedium and in New York city, it's just such a hustle all the time mm. that I think for me, it's just a goal to, to really savor it, I guess, like, you know, rather than just, you know, on to the next one, I'm, I'm really trying to make it a, an intention to start savoring as much of the moments that I get to have as much as possible. I like that. And so in addition to setting intentions to enjoy, have fun, savor, what else have you found to be helpful in that journey? Definitely for me, playing music has always been a great thing for me, a great outlet. Um, yeah. I've, I've been in a couple different bands, um, so that's always been a fun thing. But with the work I do with Action Play, uh, which, which I know we'll talk about, mm -hmm. um, just even, even being in the room and making music with, with everybody in, 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 the in the Action Play company, which is, is great, um, I think that's something that's a big something I really enjoy and I enjoy doing yoga and seeing my friends and, you know, kicking back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. You mentioned action play. I did. This happens to be the next question in this pre-scripted questionnaire. Wonderful. <laughs> Tell us about action play. So action play been kind of a journey uh but action play is a it's a first and foremost it's a it's a company it's a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing inclusive arts and performance opportunities for teens and adults and young people on the autism spectrum and with related conditions and disabilities mm -hmm. and that looks like a couple of different things um we have a, a our inclusive aims workshop, which is a musical theater and film development workshop where mm -hmm. through improvisation, we start with the blank slate and over a, a period of about six, seven months, but it's only like once a week for about an hour and a half, mm -hmm. we develop an original piece, an original piece of theater, original piece of film. Uh, it's usually a musical but it's also been uh, film related as well. And, and you, you say we, mm -hmm. who is that we comprised of? So that we is comprised of teens and young adults on the autism spectrum and with related conditions and disabilities, uh, neurotypical teens and adults, mm. um, some that are in performing arts schools in New York city, um, we, you know, our we have a, a, a great volunteer base that comes in and, and gets to play with us and mm -hmm. make stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's really the goal of the program. It's, it is, it is goal oriented. We do make something. 
Yeah. And it's it's usually pretty awesome. Um, I, I mean, I it's it it really it's and so you know, <laughs> going back to the the initial idea, I, over the years it's become I, I we actually start our program tomorrow. So I know, which is really wow. interesting. Yeah. So we're yeah. starting this year's season tomorrow. Congratulations. Of course that could, thanks. And it comes with all the anticipation and and uh, excitement and all yeah. of it. And I, you yeah. know, it's it's really interesting. I it's like I get to I get to go on on Sundays and be in the room with some of my favorite people and get to create together. Uh, yeah. It's not to say it's always easy. <laughs> it's it, but it is it is always something that's it's it's just that creative process to be able to like have an active creative group that what our goal is is really to make a show or make a film mm. and we don't know what we're doing this year we have no idea so so i can't tell you i can't project about what what the group will ultimately decide to do um that's kind of an, another unique thing about the process it's really through the collaboration that we decide what we're going to make um, and so it's, it's unique and I'm sure I'm going to hear a lot of ideas tomorrow mm-hmm. from the folks in the room. I'm going to hear lots of ideas mm-hmm. and we're all going to hear lots of ideas and somehow we're going to have to start just playing around with them and see where we get. Mm-hmm. This not knowing, Hey, this yeah. not knowing. So you can't know. I mean, you can, you can come in with like, we're going to do this. This is what it looks like. This has succeeded in the past. Therefore, right. Oh, and um, it's funny that you say that because what? almost every year I, 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 I convince myself that some idea that has kind of been floating around in the ether is a good idea, but yeah. it's never the one that we end up doing. And if I pitch it, if I pitch my idea, it's yeah. almost immediately shot down by the group. So it's, mm. it, it is generated from the group. Mm. And so, there's a not knowing of content, right? How about the process? To what extent is there a quote unquote, you know, if not cognitive, then intuitive or, or visceral knowing of how to play with the process? That's a great question. Um, I think through the years we've learned as a, because it operates kind of like a little company. A lot of the folks that are in this group have been with us since about 2012. So it's, 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 it's been a long time that we've, we've gotten to, to play together. Um, and so we've evolved, obviously. I Mm. think it's a, well, maybe some groups don't evolve. We've evolved. I hope we've evolved. (laughs) Um, like the, uh, I got to throw this in like the Pokemon that you mentioned in one of your pieces. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. It all, it all goes back to Pokemon. (laughs) So quick, quick, uh, quick plug here. The, I don't remember the name of the piece that you were talking about, but do you want to give the audience a quick uh, spiel on where this was published? Oh, sure. So what you're referencing is the the, the book, uh, Creativity and Community Among Autism Spectrum Youth. And um, it's, it's, in, uh, it's published by Palgrave Macmillan. It was edited by uh, Dr. Peter Smagorinsky. And Lois put that, this project together, actually, Lois Hol- Holzman. Um, who's a, a great developmental leader. And um, she asked me to do this project, and I wrote about kind of the process, the evolution of how I got to doing this work with action play. And, and, and 
over time, I guess it, it's about the kind of early stages of it, really the evolution of that work, uh, mm -hmm. specifically the work of our AIMS program. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel like I, I got, I got a, a, a chunk of it out, <laughs> you know, nice. I feel yeah. like there's more stories to tell, but I definitely it was really fun to dive in and really think about all of the stories and all the experiences of, of being in the room with really a unique group of people. And it's not always been the same group of people. Of course, I talked about my work with the Miracle Project, which I, which was, I'm, I'm actually from Los Angeles. So the Miracle Project was a company started by Elaine Hall in Los Angeles that created, we, she set out to create an original musical uh, with a group of, of um, children and teens and their siblings. And what, so you've played with Elaine for a bit too, right? Yes. What do you, what do you feel motivated her to try this on? She was an actress. She is an actress. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think she's professionally practicing as an actress currently, but, but she was an act, actress and a, and a mom of a non-speaking um, boy who I knew very well. He actually taught me a lot. I worked with him as a home therapist, mm. um, her son, for many, for, for many years. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when you work with non-speaking individuals, they're, it's, it's just such a unique learning process. Uh, so she, she started this because she was inspired by the fact that actors and artists and musicians she felt could reach her son more than the traditional therapies that her son was being prescribed by, you know, doctors and psychologists and occupational therapists. Yeah. Uh, and I would what say are, that, yeah. What are some examples of those traditional therapies that you're referring to? So when somebody is diagnosed with autism, there's typically a speech language component so there's they see speak a speech language pathologist. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's a huge range of communication differences amongst folks on the autism spectrum. So there are people like Elaine's son who is non-speaking to people who are highly, highly, highly verbal. Um, so there's a huge range. Um, but that's one of the therapies. There's occupational therapy, which is really gets into the motor development, motor skills, the, the way our bodies have to navigate space and, and move, basically. So yeah. there's a movement component to some of the disabilities that autistics have. Um, traditional family therapy. So it's a lot of, I mean, you know, I can't say everybody, but if, if you're, and it really depends on when you're diagnosed too, but I would say it's a lot of therapy. And these families that, have children or teens or adults on the autism spectrum, they're typically bombarded with a lot of therapy, you know, just a lot of people that are kind of sending them on this, this path to, and, and I think a lot of times what ends up happening is that that path is to fix the person. And, and that's really unfortunate because um, that suggests that they're broken, which of course they're not. Um, how do you okay so let's slow down here a little bit i'm i have a lot of curiosities popping up right now within me like 73 of them and um this 
conversation around uh, folks on the, so let's say, okay. So folks with autism uh, tend to present differently than, you know, or, or substantially differently in a particular way such that we can, uh, or folks in the psychology community, psychiatry community can diagnose them with autism. Okay. And they're different enough from people on the neurotypical spectrum that there's sort of like a they're not like us kind of feeling, right? Help me understand this idea of normalcy, fixing, um, and how that plays and features in autism, the conversations around autism. Well, there's, there's a lot to unbag in that question. Um, that was a huge question. To yeah, <laughs> well, but it's great. I think you're getting right to the heart of it in a, in a sense. So when you're talking about normalcy or acting normal, when you start thinking, it immediately draws me back to my own memories of being a student in school. And I sat at a desk most of the day and I had to do schoolwork, whatever was prescribed. And I was a kid who needed to move. I really needed to move my body. I was a very kinetic learner. Mm. So it was very hard for me to sit in school. And teachers would complain about me getting up out of my desk and walking around the room. Now, I wasn't even totally aware of that, but I, I did know that I felt kind of confined um, and I felt that I sat a lot and it was and it was tough. It was really hard on me. So I think, you know, that's one way we we ask students to act normal. But if you want to get to the, the deeper, you know, what is normal, you know, what do we think of as normal? I think Let's it's a, yeah, I think it's a really complicated um, question because I think society definitely paints an idea of, of what is normal. I think there's expectations of children to hit particular milestones. Uh, for instance, speaking at a certain age, walking at a certain age. Um, a lot of folks that are autistic are delayed in some of those milestones. So there's that aspect, you know, so they're not meeting normal developmental milestones. Um, but I think there's a, a broader point about normalcy and how we, we basically, it, it, there's kind of a culture of compliance that I think we, we live in, in, in this, in this society where you're asked to do a certain, you know, certain things. I, I bring up school that, that immediately comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and some people don't really fit that mold. They really don't. Um, and it's for a variety of reasons. It may be the input, the way they, they take in the world, uh, their sensory system, the way they mm -hmm. process the world, the way their brain processes the environment that they're in. Yeah. So they may be hypersensitive to sounds, um, touch, the, the whole range of senses, um, including the two ones that we don't really talk about very much, proprioception, which is the sense of deflection of your joints, which is basically your sense of um, where you are in space. That's, that's a big thing that a lot of autistics struggle with. And then the vestibular sense, which is your sense of equilibrium, which is in your inner ear. So that's why you sometimes have maybe seen or have heard anecdotes of autistics who enjoy swinging on swings. I've, I've met 
older teens that still will go out and swing on a swing set with full gusto because that input, that back and forth motion on a swing set gives them, gives them a feeling of stability. So we, we take in the world in these very complicated ways, but I would say, you know, when, when you're talking about how we ultimately try to engage and engage with other people, yeah. I think that's different for everybody. I know people in my life that are very, very happy at a computer or at a video game console. You know, that's like, that's where they want to be. Um, yeah. I, I know people that, really, really need to be amongst people and socializing. At the same time, I do feel that that human connection, that ability to connect with folks is something that should be available to all of us. And I think there's a big myth that autistics are not available to, to that. And I think that's a myth. I think the reality is, is that autistics can be equally social um, if they're in the right environment, if they're in the right space with people that really understand them. Um, and then when you also talk about normalcy, I think about, when I think about folks on the autism spectrum, I think about the very specific interests, the very, uh, that, that many autistics I've known have had throughout the years. So I think about uh, a young, young man that I used to work with who's really into ceiling fans, and ceiling fans were his passion, and they were really his motivation to get out into the world. Um, now they were very private for him at first, but in working with him through the years, you know, we used to make videos of ceiling fans. I really wanted to engage him so we could have a relationship because I do believe that relationships are really important. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it could be anything from manga and, you know, uh, there's so many wild and there's a, a woman who's in action play who loves, who's always loved history and specifically dictators, like ferocious, you know, tyrants. That's been like her interest since I've known her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our access point to that sort of interest has been theater and playing and really getting into it and creating with those interests. And mm -hmm. um, how do you mean creating with those interests? Well, so the action play, when, when we're in rehearsal, when we're developing a new show, yeah. um, a lot of what we create is out of these very specific interests that a lot of people on the autism spectrum have, a lot of neurotypical people have. But with autistic people, they're, they're, they can be so profound and so meaningful to them. Um, and just back to your idea of normalcy. Yeah. You know, you, do you know what school schools a lot of times try to do? is they try to take these things away from autistic people because they look at them as distractions. They look at them as things that are preventing them from doing their schoolwork or from mm -hmm. acting normal. Mm -hmm. So they, they become these things that they, they remove from autistic people. Mm -hmm. so, so you better believe that if you've been told your entire, you have these motivating things, ceiling fans, great dictators, you name it, right? Yeah. And you've been told that they're bad. They're, they're not, not just bad, that, you, that they're preventing you from doing what you're asking, what we're asking you to do. Mm -hmm. that, that would cause a lot of shame and um, hurt. I think it would, yeah. you know. So I, I think what we're doing at Action Play is really saying, you own it. <laughs> you own those, those tyrants, you know, and... This guy over here, you know, 
he has a different interest than you, but he's going to own it too. And we're going to get, we're going to have an equal, we're going to get into his interests as equally as we're getting into the tyrants. So it's this playful process of really not saying you can't come in and, and be into Julius Caesar, you know, or ceiling fans. It's saying, okay, you're into Julius Caesar. The light shines on you for this moment. Let's get into Julius Caesar. You direct the play. You make yeah. it happen. We're going to go along with you. We're going to improvise and we're going to make things together. Young man who's in, into ceiling fans, you know, maybe we can move like ceiling fans. Maybe I remember this young man who's into ceiling fans once told me that when he looks at ceiling fans, he hears music. Wow. Isn't that a beautiful, I mean, it's just like a beautiful idea. I mean, like, why would I assume that? I, I mean, I would never, I, I assume that he's getting something great out of it, but you know, he hears music. I don't yeah. know if it's original music. I don't know if it's pop songs. I know he loves music and I know he likes mm -hmm. pop music, but you know, maybe it's his own music. I, all I know is that as a group, when we're creating theater, we can engage these interests and we can really play with them and we can create with them and we can use them as a platform to, to create something together. Yeah. On the note of normalcy and some of the things you just offered, in one of, uh, I think it was the piece that we just talked about, actually. You talked, or you rather you said, action plays productions are a form of active resistance against the dominant autism culture of compliance. Resistance, dominant autism culture, compliance. What do you mean by that? Well, so in many autistic schools or schools that are, you know, in New York City, the, the, there is a, um, a dominant approach therapeutically and otherwise to working with autistics, which is a very behavioral approach. They really look and behaviorists really look at these things as forms of behavior. So it's almost like, you know, the, the, and we could we could open up to some other ideas here, like spinning. I, maybe you've heard of autistic people who spin, like who spin objects or who spin their bodies. Mm. Um, you know, this you could look at that and say this is this needs to be contained. This really needs to be stopped, and we need to control it. And it's a behavior that needs to be controlled because this. This is out of this is out of control. What do we do with this? Mm -hmm. Or you could look at it as this person is trying to regulate their sensory system, their vestibular system. They're spinning because they need that input that they're getting from that motion of spinning. Yeah. And through that, maybe there's ways to engage with them in that and to find time where you can spin and do those sorts of things, and that may make them more available to the lessons that happen in school, to history mm. and geography and math and all of these things that we know are important. I, I, I don't want to deny anybody these, these grand academic skills. I think they're great. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's very stifling, and I know this from hearing it from a number of autistic people, to be told mm. constantly, you're you know, you're, you're not right with how you, you're, you need to be controlled. Actually, that's what they're really being told. You need to be controlled. So mm -hmm. it really is a culture of compliance that's within these schools 
Um, and it's not just autistic schools related to autism. It's, it's the regular public school system. This yeah. is the dominant therapeutic approach that's used. Um, wouldn't it be nice if there was a more playful approach? Wouldn't it be nice if there were other ways of looking at some of these behaviors in a different framework? Um, so, yeah. I, I, oh. Did that answer your question? For me, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in Action Play, you work together with members of the community, professionals in the art scene, and folks who are on the spectrum and with neuroatypicalities to co-create stuff together. Yes. I had the, yeah, I had the good fortune of uh, reading a piece that does talk about your story, the one you just mentioned. How does your personal story tie into the work of action play and the work that you do today? Well, I talked a little bit about how I felt in school as somebody who needed to move. Right, right. You know, and, uh, but, it, it, you know, it didn't really get much better for me as a, as a, as a teenager. Um, I, I, I felt, and it's so interesting, I think there's such an, an interesting parallel between people that are artistic and people who are autistic who may also be artistic mm -hmm. um, in, in the sense that however, you know, I, I know a lot of artists too who grew, who grew up and they felt like they were outcasts. Um, that's anyone from people who are incredibly shy to people like me who what, shyness wasn't necessarily my issue, mm. but I, uh, I, I missed a lot of social cues. I missed a lot of things that, um, that, you know, uh, and, and, and maybe it was some of it was just a resistance to some of the culture that was around me in school. Uh, I think that's a lot of it, too. And, and some of it was I, I have a, a, a auditory processing disability and it really I really struggled with getting auditory information as a young as a young person. Mm. So for me, you know, when you're when you feel outcasted but at the same time, you really want to connect with people. Some of us get that lovely opportunity and we make it to the theater. We make it to drama club or whatever it is. And drama club is where a lot of the outcasts and the people that are called nerds and freaks and geeks and all those sorts of things, they, and people that are, you know, sexually diverse. And I mean, I, I can, I can think of my teenage drama club and go, you know what, what a motley crew of folks this is, you know, wow. and, and, and we get to go to this place where we get to play characters. We get to, we get to be silly and engaged in whatever, in some of the things that maybe we're into, but also, you know, we, we get a, an opportunity to play and to try on different hats and to, you know, experiment with different voices. And at my school, at least, you know, it, we, we didn't even necessarily have to like, you know, like be in, in the lunchroom. I mean, I still wanted to be cool. You know, I still wanted to be accepted by the cool kids. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't want to totally own that. I was a, a thespian or anything. I was a little mm -hmm. worried that that was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a scarlet T written across my, you know, I wanted to be cool. And, um, but I, I, I connected more with, the drama kids. We we had a special little place, the drama club, where we got to be, you know, our total outlandish weirdo selves. And it was great. So 
you know, and it, and it extended throughout my life where, you know, obviously drama and, and the, the practice of acting and things like that, you can, you can get into the, the real skills of it. And there's lots of, you know, we live in a, a world that's dominated by media. So mm-hmm. there's lots of examples of, of paths for actors right now. It's not all, you know, um, just the 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 weirdo club you know what i mean there's lots mm-hmm. of reasons to keep going and to to think of it as something that's that maybe is bigger but it doesn't really matter for me it was this special place where i got to got to be myself but i did go on in it and i got into uh acting first and then i and i went to college as an as an actor and then immediately kind of dropped acting and I started getting into re- directing plays. And I, I was really into creating. I liked directing plays because I liked creating these little microcosm companies. I mean, that's really what I loved. I definitely had the visual skills and the things to make things look good on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, as I got older and I, and I, I, I got my MFA from UCLA in directing, um, and I was, you know, requested to, to make play. It's like the audience is like this, upper class, you know, very bourgeois taste kind of audience. And that mm. didn't sing with me either. I was what just a, like, what about that? Well, it just feels like when I was thinking about the fun things I got to do when I was younger, um, in college and, um, you know, my, my twenties, I, I, it, it was so much fun to think of be, being a theatrical rebel and do these things that were kind of rebellious, you know, mm. and then to know that it's, it's just a bunch of the, and I love classic plays, but it's just like, it's not even the classics. It's, it's really that it's this audience that really wants this very like numbing kind of experience in the theater. They want, you know, they want something that they, you know, a, a good laugh or what. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just for me, it felt a little, or not even or a good laugh or a good cry or whatever. They, they, they want this experience that, it, for me, it wasn't about that. Theater wasn't about that. It was about community. It was about doing things that were, were different and fun and exploring and, and, and really getting into, um, you know, what it means to be like these little microcosms of, 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 of a culture that we're developing together and, mm. and making stuff, making cool, dynamic, in your face, maybe a little, you know, you know, in your face. I wanted to push back on things. I, I'm an mm. art, you know, I, I have an art, artistic bent to my soul. I, mm. I want to push back on the culture. Um, so that's what, not what was demanded of me as a director. So right. when, so when I so when I got to go to the Miracle Project, which with Elaine, and I was asked to direct the first pilot program, and I was in this room with these very unique group of people. There were autistic people that were hiding under the desk. I mean, and 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 talking to me about you mentioned Pokemon, a lot of mm-hmm. you know, and all these just you know just interesting people. I think I I I was just like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here but this feels more right than the other thing. This mm. feels more dynamic, more interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, there's a visceral sense. It's just, this, this clicks. Don't know what's happening, but this clicks. <laughs> That's right. Nice. That's right. Cool. Cool. And I've seen it with others too. I've seen it with a lot of young people who come into my, my programs that, that they, they feel similarly. So it's not, I know I'm not, um, at this point I know, 
I'm not the only person who sometimes feels a little stuck. Even if you're just feeling stifled artistically, you know, sometimes it's nice to just have something that kind of throws you into a different way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like there is a parallel. I think you mentioned that, that there's a parallel between your earlier experiences kind of being different, finding the drama club, hanging out with folks, doing wacky stuff, having that safe space to do wacky shit in. And then, uh, as a, you know, as a professional creating spaces for people who do feel different to have that opportunity to connect, to play, to create things. It's like you're giving, it's like you're giving back what you received almost. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it at first. I mean, I, I didn't I don't think I gravitated to it for that. At least it wasn't conscious, you know, That's when, fair. When, yeah. I, when I did it. But I I definitely think it's become that. And but it's more it's not but it's so much more than that because I really love it. And right. right. It's for me it's almost like it's, it's become like this, like, I almost want to say it's like a, a spiritual practice or something where I know on Sundays I go to this rehearsal in the morning uh, and we make things and I feel charged for the rest of my week, nice. <laughs> you know? That's um, awesome. I mean, sometimes you have bad rehearsals and all of that sort of stuff. And sometimes you're licking your wounds the, the next, the next, you know, like mm-hmm. emotionally, you know, mm-hmm. oh, this was a tough one. Well, what happened? Oh, you know, there, there's that too. But, but that, those, those times also inform the, 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 the ecstatic times, the times when, I mean, a memory that comes to mind is there was one time we were working together that just, I I think about it all the time, it was one of the first time I I think we really co-created a beautiful piece of music. Um, It was called, the song was called The Future, but it just happened totally spontaneously. It was Mm -hmm. just like, I work with a wonderful music therapist um, named Gabriel Litt, who's an incredible improvisational music therapist. and, and an incredible song leader too. I mean, I can't say he has, he has quite a gift. Um, and what's a, what's a song leader? I, I, I say he's a song leader in the sense of like, you know, you, somebody who can teach songs, somebody, okay. you know, um, so he can improvise, he can, he can riff with people and, and make things in, in the moment and really improvise musically, but he can also teach a song, you know, how it works, you know, and make it come alive. Gotcha. Um, but this thing where we were singing about the future and people were coming up with these incredible lines of what the future is. And it was really beautiful and magical. And I just remember thinking like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is what it's about. I mean, like, like this is what it should always be. Of, co- of course, it's not always this, but, mm-hmm. you know, this is what it should always be, where we feel, where we feel, you know, the music was kind of holding the space and kind of capturing this this dynamic amongst the group and that we all felt like we could offer something to it. And it Mm. was beautiful. And we actually recorded the song. I mean, it's out there. It's on, we have an album out there called, we don't want to fit in. This was not meant to be a pitch, but I'll pitch it anyways. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but that song's on the record and, and it's in a a more complete version than in that room, but it really was something we, we generated together. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think you can. I think you now can find the album anywhere, iTunes, whatever your 
whatever your uh, elixir uh, of music is. Elixir is not the right word, but you know. <laughs> However you get your music. Mode of delivery? Mode of delivery. That's way better than, I said elixir. Elixir. I like that. I mean, if people thought about iTunes as elixirs, they'd probably get more sales. I don't know. <laughs> elixir, play Guns N' Roses. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. I wish I knew a riff from Guns N' Roses like right now. It, nothing's coming. Would have been a good little riff, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so there's an element to your work that is developmental for yourself as a person who always learns and adapts and, and works hard to build rapport and relationship. And for... I'm making an assumption here for the participants as well, for folks on the autism spectrum and with neuroatypicalities. Explain the idea of performing a head taller than oneself and the conversation around development. Well, it's interesting. I remember, I don't know if it was Lois or Carrie Loebman who first kind of, I think it was Carrie who first told me about that idea. And I don't know if she told me. I think she she came... So Carrie Loebman's a, a person... Uh, she She's with the Side Institute. She's an incredible professor at Rutgers, just an, uh, an incredible teacher, mind, developmentalist, um, uh, and just a great person. And I she came to a production, and she wrote a little piece about what she saw. She came to a Miracle Project production, and she wrote mm-hmm. a piece about what we were doing in New York city. And, uh, and she wrote that phrase and I remember just kind of falling in love with the phrase. Um, because it is true that in, in, in theater, there's this unique kind of thing that happens in performance specifically where the process can be messy and our process I, I would never say it's it's like this cookie cutter thing you know um as much as i would love it to be because we'd probably get more grants and stuff if it was mm. it's not it's it's a process that's very unique and it and it happens through the methodologies that we employ and 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 the spirit of of how we we operate this improvisational spirit more than uh you know, this, this cookie cutter thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but in performance, you know, when the lights, you know, uh, come on and you're in costume and all of that, there really is that unique moment where the thing kind of comes together in this, in this way. And we've, and anybody who's done performance has had, probably had that experience at at least once many, possibly many times Mm -hmm. where you really feel that whatever was happening before that chaotic stew of rehearsal and whatever that is, it really just gels together. And I feel, you know, in, in the population that we work with, there, there's so many, there's such a unique journey for each individual in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think what we have to do is we're, we're constantly adapting and responding to the individuals in the room. Mm-hmm. But when we get to come together and do the thing, <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a whole nother like little level up. And 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 so performing a head taller really happens. She she used the phrase I remember that it's like 
the, you, she saw on stage, I think, that they were willing, she could see people make the choice to not do their, their little things, their little behavior or whatever it was, whatever she, mm-hmm. whatever we wanted to call, want to call it, stim, mm-hmm. um, and really will the performance into existence. I'm part of this ensemble. I have to do this. I, I, I'm choosing to do this, this collective activity of bringing this show into existence. Mm-hmm. So I, it truly is performing a head taller um, because there, there can't, you, you can't, I can't tell you how many times where as somebody who at, most of the time plays the role of director, not all of the time, but many of the times um, where I'm nervous, I'm nervous that the thing won't come together. And then mm-hmm. I see everyone just pull it together in this incredible way. So it really is performing a head taller. It's, it's, it blows my, whatever expectations I, I have, mm-hmm. it usually blows them away. And so what impact does doing this collaborative work with participants have on them? What have you seen? A lot of friendships. I mean, that's the, 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 the number one thing that first comes to mind um, that, that friendships form real genuine I can't say lifelong, but very, very strong, meaningful friendships that um, extend way outside of the room. So uh, some of it's maybe knowing somebody else who has, you know, is autistic or has a, you know, I think that has something maybe to do with it, connecting with somebody who who may be, you know, you, you, you either embrace this identity or, or you have been told you're that whatever it is I I've asked many and I've gotten a hundred different answers on how it, it feels to have a diagnosis and I have my own opinions about it too, but whatever that's, I, I think there's some reason why the friendships, but I let's maybe that's not the direction to go in. I, I, I think the reality is, is we play together and we play, we play seriously and we get to know each other in that process. So we, we do become friends. There are strong bonds that form in the rehearsal room. And then in terms of just the process of watching a lot of the folks in our group grow, I mean, it's unbelievable. I, 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 three, three individuals come to mind right off the top of my head. Um, you know, one of the individuals was a, a kid who came to us. He was talented. He could dance. He did a lot of Michael Jackson. Like he had the Michael Jackson routines down. That was his thing. He did that thing for at least a year. But over time, he really got into being a theatrical performer and and ended up getting into a New York Musical Conservatory High School. Wow. And now he's at AMDA in the conservatory, musical theater conservatory program. Um, and he's rocking and rolling. I mean, and, wow. you know, so I mean, like, that's one example uh, for somebody who's not theater, who's not, who you know, who's aspirations aren't theatrical. There's another young lady who's, who I've known for a very long time too, has been in our program since the beginning. She's the one I was talking about who was into dictators and tyrants. Right, right. Yeah. And she has gone on in her life. She's in the, she's in an honors history pro college. Like, you know, she just got a presidential scholarship. Wow. I mean, it's wild. So I'm seeing a lot of people who are just incredibly successful. And the third person who comes to mind is somebody who I I worked with 
in and out of action play. Uh, interesting, just one of my favorite people, somebody who's become a really good friend of mine, now he's a, a young man, um, who was an artist, uh, a, a visual artist, and you know, he really struggled. And I, I got to know him at a very, um, I, I want to say, a, a, a special needs school, you know, and I, he's just, just by knowing that he could embrace his art and, and, and I just watch that process. I mean, I feel like I had some impact on him just being able to make art and continuing with it. And he's not only doing really well and like selling paintings and doing stuff, he's just kind of embraced a creative path in his life. And he, and he was very, he ended up being doing very successful academically as well. So a lot of folks who kind of came in the room and they needed a lot of support at the time, they just, they're just kicking ass. I mean, like, and, and, and I mean, like that's, I don't know. I feel, you know, on a, on, on a good day, that's what I, that's really what I think about. Um, you know, I, I really think about that, that, that by, by this process, by, you know, getting to embrace your creativity whether you're on a path that's creative or not, you know, these guys are, 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 are developing. They're, 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 they're badasses. They always were badasses, but they're just mm. like, they're now more, I don't know. It's just like, it, it's awesome to watch them really succeed. It's really cool. Feels like that's, yeah, that's definitely yeah. one of the main hits of your work. Hey, is just w helping and and watching people blossom. Yeah, and well, I get, I think I get to watch them blossom, but it's really that we're creating together, and then it's cool, like when when I see it happen. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I, and I guess now with high, I see, I, I I guess what you're asking is yes, now with the high, watching somebody go through this process of of playing with us for the years and watching that it is really a developmental process, um, that's really exciting. I wouldn't have known that how i how could have i ever guessed that you know yeah. i i i would have no idea i i know that theater and performance for me was something that helped me through my life you know and it helped me academically and it wasn't just about you know a path to being an actor it was really about i have this space to go and it's actually helping in every aspect of my life i'm doing better in school you know and all of these sorts of things because I have this place where I feel safe and a place where I feel like I can explore things. Mm. So yeah, it's nice. It's, in, you know, uh, I, <laughs> it's funny though. I mean, did I come up, did I come up with that equation before I, I began? No, <laughs> you know, right. no idea, you know, well, it I, emerged, I, right? Yeah, it did. It did. Right. It came to be through playing with people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. right. That's right. Um, but no, no, I, I, I was definitely, uh, I got it wrong what I said. So for you, it's not sort of a primary motivator that people are growing and developing. It's 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 definitely there, the primary motivator uh, or something that's really important to you that you thought about has been playing with people, creating with people. That's that's a driver. Yeah, and and giving them that platform that like yeah. thinking of it really as like a platform, to, you know, to 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 be and to own 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 their 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 uniqueness, you know, uh, own all of our uniqueness. Um, 
not an us versus them, you know, it's, it's all, we're all, and you know, that's a cool thing about the process too, is that, um, you know, when I started working in this field, I witnessed a lot of people who really saw themselves as support, <laughs> you know, and what's, I remember thinking, well, what's, what's funny about that? Well, because I think that we, we don't really think of ourselves as support. I think we think of ourselves as co-players and people, we definitely do support each other and, and the, and the individuals in our group, but it's really, we're all in the room making stuff together. There really isn't a, uh, a gap between, for instance, like, um, adults that may have a lot more performing experiences versus young people who have less performing experience versus people who are on the autistic spectrum versus people who aren't on the autistic spectrum. We're all, we all have a goal. We're all making stuff together. So, you know, support is part of it. Of course, it's a supportive process, but it's not, I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of is like, I remember, you know, I, I used to, I used to do this, show at one of the schools and it was always a very complicated that I worked at and it was always a very complicated thing for me because I I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing I I just tried to put a creative activity together like a talent show sort of thing mm-hmm. and um and it was you know sometimes a real success that it, it certainly had had to had its bumps um but but one of the things that I remember seeing was that you know people thought their role should be, oh, I hold the mic for the kid, you know, and the kid does the thing where I've never thought of our group. I, nobody holds a mic for anybody. We're, we're, we're out there doing it, making this thing together, you know? So, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that support is, is it's a supportive process, but it's really more important that we play. Mm. Yeah. Play as support. Yeah, I like that. Mm. I'm going to use that. Do it. Steal it. What's revolutionary to your work? You talk about play or, or supportive play, play as support. Um, watching people create things in a space that they feel safe in and accepted in. Maybe maybe I, I would even offer one of the first times in their life that they felt that social social safety to be seen and heard and accepted what's revolutionary about that well revolutionary i guess it means to create change right and maybe create dynamic change i i don't have a great working definition of revolutionary but i i feel like what my sense of being revolutionary in this practice is is that we're a collective, you know, we're, we're creating stuff as a collective and that so many people in, in, in the world think of folks that are autistic or who have disabilities as sick, as, 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 as not right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a very unfortunate thing to think that that's, the lens that we've, and it's through the media. There's through so, so many reasons why we think that. I don't. I don't. I don't just put that burden on, on humanity. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But I think our activity, I guess, is revolutionary or sparks change because 
as a collective, we're doing the exact opposite of that. We're showing that in our work and in our performances, when we're performing in front of an audience, that we're healthy, we're dynamic, we're funny, we're over the top, we're ridiculous, we're, we're everything but, you know, sick, you know, there's nothing mm-hmm. sick about us, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe it's society that's a little sick, mm. you know? Something about that really... Uh, like emotionally hit home for me. Maybe it was in the delivery of how you said it because it had a fantastic build-up <laughs> and then an emotional poignant ending. <laughs> but no, something like I, I felt tearful. I felt um, like personally, who am I not supporting that I can be? And who who is you know, who's open out there to support the people who are a little deviant <laughs> from the status quo, right? Yeah. I mean, I think... And and also, here, here's something else. Sorry, I, I just, I want to throw this in. Um, there's, a, there's a way in which, and, and it was, I, I heard it in your story, a way in which folks who feel different than uh, create uh, self-contained communities. Uh uh, safe True. spaces. D and D, Magic the Gathering, <laughs> Drama uh, Club, yeah, Drama Club, um, et cetera, et cetera, or, or maybe if even you know academia, we'll put that out there. Um, uh, I I don't know, I, and we'll we'll always create tribes, you know, we'll always create communities around things. I I think to myself, you know, how many of these communities are anti? right? No. Let, let, let's be anti the norm, right? Let's be anti, um, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, conformity, right? And, and, then, and then there are these little rifts almost in society. There's almost like a, it shouldn't be an us versus them. And sort of by virtue of finding safe spaces, away from people it becomes an us versus them do you know what i mean like for me what i'm curious about is how can we create spaces for the the true collaboration in society do you know what i mean like what's what's the ideal version of what this can look like i think there's a a learning process right i mean i think in some senses you the first part is is i think getting through the static that says, hey, you know, uh, this, this person is so different. This person is sick or wrong or malaligned or whatever, or weird or whatever phrase you want to throw at the group of people that is that, you know, I think, and I think f- there's that process of showing, you know, an audience or, or whatever, that we're not. So I think that's mm. one part, but we, we, we talked about that and you're talking about then how do we open that up in, a, in kind of a broader way? How do we, how yeah. do we almost live it in a sense? Yeah. In a day-to-day sort of practice. I mean, isn't that what, I mean, for me, that's, that's, that's such a, a lovely idea. It's something I, 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 I want to aspire more to because mm. it's so difficult. I mean, I live in a city 
that's big and noisy and every type and every scene and you know it's just every culture it's all it's all here i mean new york city is pr a pretty wild place mm. so you know and i think when it's the most functional <laughs> it's when we're we're just doing our things together you know the subway incredibly functional environment i mean it's incredible that all of these people can get transported from here to there and for the most part, it goes pretty smooth. I'm not, this is not for our New York City listeners, some sort of like thing about the MTA, because we know, <laughs> we know that that they, they got some work to do. Love as, hate, do right? a lot, as Yeah, as do a lot of our like our civic institutions. But, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about that. What I'm saying is just the, the actual collective process of getting from here to there. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing to think. I, I thought about it many times where I'm just look, looking around on the subway and going, oh, my God, it's just wild, the, the walks of life, you know, that you see on the subway. It's, it's incredible mm. in a sense. Now, in that, in that but, but I think people are, are discerning. You know, they're, they're trying to feel safe. They're trying to, you know, we use judgment to keep ourselves safe in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I think that's a hard, right? I mean, you see, you, you, there's all of the problems that go with that too, because it becomes then biases and things, you know, that I think in some senses are just the inability to accept things that are different, that are, mm. that are not, uh, that are really out there or really, you know, it reminds me of taking the train sometimes with autistic people who may be having a tough time you know, socially or otherwise, and how that situation sometimes becomes a feud on the train where somebody steps up and is advocating for the person that's having the tough time and somebody is being the contrarian who's saying that boy ain't right, you know, or whatever, you know, or that kid's wrong, that kid's should be sitting down and acting, you know, and I'm sitting there going as the person who's riding them, oh my goodness, I didn't want this to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to deal with the situation as best as I can. Mm -hmm. I've seen this happen. I, I mean, literally where there's, you know, um, so, you know, I, I think, I think we live in a world where we have to I, I don't think there's anything wrong. I mean, maybe there is. I don't know. I, my, I'm going to suggest that there's not nothing wrong with 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 cultural judgments, biases. These are things that are just. I think we have to realize that they're natural parts of humanity. I'm not saying it's the highest form of humanity. I'm just saying it is what it is, and mm -hmm. we all have them. Mm -hmm. um, I think to deny ourselves, you know, or when people it, it, you you get into this this realm of thinking, which um, a good example would be when Obama became president, right? Oh, here's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting really taboo here. Let's when Obama it. became president, I remember hearing people, you know, and people were saying, you know, racism is over. We have a black president. Racism is over. Well, mm. we've learned only recently that that couldn't, I mean, that couldn't be, and, and we, we knew it all along, those of us who, who know, that couldn't mm. be anything less of the truth. I mean, that it's, of course not. That's ridiculous, you know? Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, think, I think as a society, we're, in, we're evolving. We are discerning. I think we, but I think if we could find more spaces where we can maybe create together 
in ways that are interesting and fun. And I'm not saying <laughs> Disneyland or something where it's all rooted in taking your money. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm open to all of those ideas. I wish there were more places where we could create art together and really, you know, make stuff together in a way that wasn't driven by corporate profits. Mm. How about that? <laughs> mm. <laughs> a life of creating together, hey? Maybe bringing that to our awareness. There's something hard about process i think sometimes like like seeing process and feeling process and talking about process right mm -hmm. um uh, i feel in some sense that that even the invitation to to uh play those games can be alienating for some folks in society who really like to live in that structured this is my safety these are the kinds of people that i feel comfortable with kind of life and these are questions that i don't have answers to right uh, i truly don't um but it's there's something interesting about you know uh deviance so so being different than or different from the norm i mean if you want to jump in a little deeper um uh and i am in no way qualified to say this but only have done um some research work uh on this but um, in the sociology of medicine, um, every pathology is is ascertained from a deviation from what is considered to be normal. And what is considered to be normal is the uh, average functioning of what is theoretically perceived to be all right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if we go oh, that totally. deep, right? Um and then, I mean, you're then, talking. You're reminding me of like Foucault and and epistemias and things like you know that that idea that that if you you divorce culture from the the things that we take for granted, schools, medicine, literally all of these things, yeah, you're really missing the fact that culture has uh, has its hand on literally all of them. I mean, it, it you know so what what is sick, what is well, all of these things. Are not are not that that you know black and white. They're not they're not that um, binary. You know. Yeah. So so talking about things that are not binary. <laughs> uh, you mentioned at some point that you have a um, uh, a few th thoughts and probably feelings about diagnoses. So the the question I wrote down was the double edged sword of diagnosis. So what's the value of diagnosis for you and what is the potential sorry, potential value and potential detriment? And uh how do you navigate this tension by saying, you know, that you do work with folks with autism or neuroatypicalities? It's a, a great question. Uh for me, the personal side of it was I had an ADD diagnosis, and when I was in school, it did give me some things I needed from school. I got longer testing periods, um, you know, some things that really helped me out and helped me academically. So the diagnosis was kind of a means to um, some things I needed. Um, but I think that when we we really look at diagnosis as disorder you know uh i think there's a, a real problem there because specifically with psychological 
or developmental diagnosis. Um, because the reality is, is that when you get a, when you look at uh, the DSM, for instance, you get a list of all the things that are wrong with the person. It, wouldn't, we, it, wouldn't it be nice if there was a, sorry. Yeah. For the people that don't know the DSM. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Uh, this is the main document that is used for psychological diagnosis. I'm not a psychologist, so I, I don't, I can't get into the nitty gritty of it, but I, that, that, that's my understanding of it. And if you look at the DSM and you take any thing that we would call a, a disorder, you get a laundry list of negatives. This is what's wrong with you. Now, if you flipped it the other way, and for instance, somebody was classified in a certain way, be it autistic or bipolar or ADHD or any of these sorts of things, and you got a list of all the things that were right, or at least areas that, you know, are strengths that were strength-based rather than things that were only deficit-based, I think we would have, be having a different dialogue altogether right now about the nature of diagnosis. Um, in some senses, I think it serves society because we do need to be able to discern differences. It, it just, I think it is, it does help in the functionality of this society. I think with autism and, and the autistic community, it's become an identity for a lot, a lot of folks that are autistic. And I think that that's, that's an incredible thing too, that folks are connected through this diagnosis and through this, and it's moved beyond a diagnosis. It's really an identity. Um, so there's a lot to unbag there, but I, I would say, you know, my own thought is, is that it's really the idea of disorder that I think is, 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 is the problem. That's to me the, 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 the root of the, the ugliness of diagnosis. So when folks who don't have much contact with uh, uh, the psychological community, psychiatric community, you know, hear that someone has, let's say, a diagnosis, um, what are your invitations for them? Well, for me, I mean, I, I, I get this privileged opportunity to work within the arts. So... It's a, it's a very different space, but when I try to teach people about the individuals that I work with, of course, I talk about, and I did on this, in this conversation, I talk about some of the things that they may struggle with, some of the sensory stuff. Mm. But at the same time, I also talked about these incredible gifts, you know, this in, these incredible interests, these incredible, I mean, I've known so many autistic people that just have fantastic gifts and abilities and interests that really, you know, if they're harnessed in the right way, improve their entire developmental process. So that's my offering is to say, don't, don't take these things away from people. They may be their, their entree into, into the life that they want to live. So take the, the woman who's into tyrants, you know, I mean, if we didn't embrace her love of history and her love of, and her family didn't, and if the people around her didn't do that, and at a certain mm. point in her life, I know they were not, mm. 
and I'm not saying her family, her family is incredible, but I'm saying the school system, a lot of the, the systems that be were not embracing those things. She would not be where she is today, which is an incredibly prolific scholar in history, mm. you know? So, yeah. Mm. I feel like there's a lesson that I'm taking away in the uh, radical acceptance that's required, I think, of, of you and others in this community. Maybe not radical to you because, you know, this is something you feel is maybe even morally right. But, you know, folks who don't have much contact with, you know, playful deviance, you know, uh, or uh, um, uh, play a support. Um, how, how, do we, how do we accept, how do we invite ourselves to build relationship through what's important to people, you know? And is that fundamentally what's important? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I think you're, you're, you know, you're getting to the heart of something I've learned from this developmental community, which is that, you know, and it's, it's kind of the heart of improvisation, which is the accepting of the offerings that you get. It's that yes and. Um, in some senses, I think that is a, simplif- a, a, a gross simplification of what it is. Not gross. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but it's a, it's a simplifying of what is actually going on. But it, it really, there's something very profound about it as well, which is you receive an offering. How do you expand upon it? How do you build upon those things? So it is, it is a practice of, of, of radical acceptance. And I, I love that term. I think that's a, a great w- way of, of putting it. Um, but I, I, also, I, I don't think it's just acceptance. I think it's challenging as well. I hope it's challenging. I don't think... How, how, do, you, how do you mean? Sorry. Uh, challenging uh, who or what? What do you mean? Well, I remember when I, when I started working in this community, I, I was... I, I was I learned a lot about autism through the the developmental psychologist Dr. Stanley Greenspan, and he is the creator of the DIR floor time model, which it, you know in terms of it's a therapeutic model similar to social therapy, similar to ABA. These are all kind of models for uh, their therapeutic models. All incredibly different. I'm not saying any of them have anything alike, but but they're, they're therapeutic models. And one of the things he suggested, and it, I thought about it a lot in my, my early work when I was, a, a, I worked in the home. So I worked as a home interventionist. And that's where I met Elaine's son, the nonverbal, Elaine Hall's son, the nonverbal individual we were talking about a while back. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he really talked about kind of playful obstruction as, as, as a technique. I, I, I don't know if that's the right term uh, that I would use, but I think that when we're accepting something, mm-hmm. I think the goal is to expand on it, to make it more of a rich, fl- flowing interaction. Okay, but okay. But also to offer things that, you know, sometimes something, you know, it, it, it's not all, uh, uh, it's not all pie in the sky, uh, you know, everything's, uh, you know, everything's all happy and peachy all the time. You know, sometimes something, you know, gets at you the wrong way or, or whatever. And I think, or sometimes you want 
to move something forward. I think of it musically as you're offering, you're, you're, you are saying yes to and a lot of the times, but sometimes you're saying, you're, it's almost like you're saying no and too, you know, like, you know, like <laughs> you're moving it in a different direction. I mean, you know, I, I think about my, my music, I played in a, a, a project, um, an improvisational project called Opponents, which if you listen to, you're going to be like, whoa, who is this guy? He's from outer space. Um, um, but it's really, it's really out there music. And it was, an, uh, you know, I remember thinking like when, when we played best together, it's because we were all listening and accepting the offerings that were going forward. But sometimes that was not possible. And, and, and that sometimes worked, you know, sometimes it was almost like a sparring, <laughs> you know, mm. where somebody would do something and it's like, well, I just want to counter that. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't mm. a, just a yes and. There was something playful about it, but it wasn't just, I wasn't just saying, cool. I was saying, right. you know, it was a different tone, a different emotionality. Who knows why it happened, you know? Maybe mm. it was because I couldn't get my gear together that, you know, I have no idea why sometimes the, the, the tone couldn't always be like, let's flow together. Let's, let's honor every sound that, of course it doesn't happen that way. Life doesn't happen that way, you know? Hmm. Mm. I feel like we just deepen the conversation a little bit much more. Uh, and because there is an element, I think, in which, you know, having read about your work, having um, seen some of the videos you sent me, it kind of feels la-di-da. I'll, like, I'll, straight up, right? It feels like it's this um, um, perpetual yes-andery. <laughs> uh and and not much is talked about the way in which the repertoire is enhanced, expanded, made more rich, right? And I'd like to learn a little bit more about what that could look like, right? You know, so let's say somebody comes in and um, uh, their their biggest offer to you is that they love ceiling fans, right? And what would it look like to enrich, expand? Um, uh, you know, um, or maybe even no end to, <laughs> you know, right. Well, there has to be bound. There are boundaries. I, I, so this doesn't come, uh, it doesn't make me think of the, the rehearsal room specifically, but, but the individual who likes ceiling fans, he used to like to go to the shop. So we used to do a lot of stuff in the community. And I think I told you at some point we started filming stuff and he would, he reflected on a lot of the, the, his favorite fans. And we could have a conversation that we didn't really have before that this thing that was a very private experience for this, this young man. Mm. Um, but I, I think of boundaries too, you know, we used to go to this shop and I, and I can't say it was always easy. It was, it was incredibly difficult. He would just bust into the shop um, and <laughs> he would go over to the switch and he would just start to control, like, take over their fan. And they were in, like, normal business. And, of course, that couldn't happen, you know? Like, right. that's not, that's not, that shouldn't have happened. Um, and I remember really struggling with it because they were actually really nice. And, you know, a lot of times they tried to placate the situation, being like, it's okay. And I'm going, like, no, it's really not okay, you know? Right. You know, this is not, it's, there's just a lack of respect happening here. You're doing business. No, yeah. I'm not saying he could understand at the time. Maybe he could. I don't know. 
the context may have been difficult for him. What is, you know, doing business and some of these sorts of things are, are, are very abstract ideas that I don't know if he had his, had his head around at that particular time. Yeah. Um, but I do know that it was something that we had to work on, you know, and it was something where I did have to put my foot down and I've had many situations where I've had to put my foot down and, um, and I would say sometimes it's playful at its best, <laughs> and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is a, a definitive no. Uh, so, and in the creative process, you say, you know, I, I would say our work, it's a, it's a very, I want to say it's a very nice group of people. So that's mm. part of maybe why some of it feels a little la-di-da. I think it's just a very genuinely nice group of people. Uh, but I would say the work as a whole, like if you look at the full pieces, um, for instance, the last piece we did was called Surreality TV, and we did it for two years. Um, it's, a, it's really about uh, a kid growing up in a family who they get sucked and trapped. His, his mom and his dad and his sister get sucked into the world of reality TV game shows where they kind of transform into these like like monst almost monstrous character characterized versions of themselves, you know. Weird. Yeah, it's super weird. And and um, you know, I feel like I feel like that's a common thread with you, though, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> There's always weird looming, you know. <laughs> well, I definitely like things that I think push the bound, but I can't say my the group always. I mean, I think the group is is as I said, they're really nice, respectful people they're very you know compassionate nice uh, as a whole so you know when we enter into like darker darker territory um mm. it's fun and i think it it sometimes does you know sometimes we push it too far for ourselves you know but i i think that's all part of the process i mean so this show really is about this kid who kind of rebels against that you know he wants to be himself he doesn't want to be in this this media dominated world i think that's a pretty huge theme to me looking at where the world is now where where it's like very pertinent yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty wild and we create and we created that piece pre trump <laughs> so so it was really interesting mm. you know um, we, we performed it last year and we looked at it and it was just like, whoa, you know, whoa. we just elect, elected a reality TV star as our president. And this show feels all the more poignant currently, but we did, you real. know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, okay. I, I have something that, uh, I hope comes across as a little bit challenging, but not like, um, you know, tension building between us. Sure. So what is the difference between, you know, Aaron Feinstein uh, putting his foot down and calling a boundary in a store where, you know, said individual wants to flick a switch because ceiling fans are the best you know, thing on earth and in a school where the boundary is, you know, you, you can't do said behavior because that's disrespectful of, how we run business. Oh, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, I, I don't think you're going to, in some senses, you're, you're speaking right to why I many times found schools to be very stifling environments, you know? Um, and it was because of 
sometimes the the nature of the educational, the therapeutic culture was not an artistic culture. What's what's different about you know being in a in a, in a, in a shop, mm-hmm. right, where there's a script around how to play, perform, behave, right? Mm-hmm. So one comes in the door, one has the option of looking at people, not looking at people, both are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one has options of taking a cart, not taking a cart, those are okay. Um, pulling out phone, right? Like, you know, putting things into the shopping cart or not. Um, but not throwing shit at the window. That's one thing we don't do in a shop, right? Like we just typically don't do that. That's not a thing we do very often, right? And if somebody does it, that is deviant and, you know, instinctively sometimes in, in, in good, in, for good reason, for good measure, we think that's not safe. Um, I don't want to be around this situation. I'll, you know, get out or freeze, whatever, you know, um, so there's a script that's there that we're following that I hear you say as being, you know, that kind of makes sense. You know, you don't come into a store and turn off a light switch, right? That sort of deviance is not okay. But um, deviance in school, particular forms of deviance in school is okay. Like I'm just no, trying to... No, not at all. I mean, I would yeah. say it's the same. It's It's the same thing. If you're crossing boundaries of safety you know, and things like this. And, and, and there is respect. I mean, I think we have to teach people respect. It's, it's not a, a, a free for all. I would never hope to present anything that seems like that. So it's, mm. it's not like that at all. There are very succinct boundaries. Um, and a lot of those boundaries are co-created in the rehearsal room. If we're talking about rehearsal, uh, yeah, you're, yeah. you're bringing, yeah. Okay. So rehearsal, I don't, our, our programs, uh, the program I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of when I'm talking about the Sunday program is not at a school. So we, we do it in out of school time. Um, mm. But that being said, in a school where there are a lot more rules, some rules that don't make sense. Right. Know, you, I think that's what you're getting. I mean, that's what I'm responding to. Schools are tough. They're, they're tough environments because there are sometimes rules that just are very difficult to understand, you know, for, for anybody. So, um, I think for the rules that at least I could understand, I was respectful of them and I I would be respectful of them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's sometimes the more nuanced rules. Um, for instance, you know, I'm thinking back, (laughs) I'm thinking of my myself who used to get mm. up supposedly, right? I, I don't have much recollection of it, but I'm sure it's very true because that's how I mm. felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and walked around the room and 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 school is a place of sitting. Well, okay, you know, the the rule was there. Uh, and but did it serve me? And could have there been creative ways potentially for those teachers? who were probably incredibly overtaxed, probably had mm-hmm. way too many kids in their class. Could have yeah. they served me in a creative way? Absolutely. But did they have the time? No. Did they have the resources? No. And I feel like that's the problem that I, I've run into in schools in the past. They don't have the time. They don't have the resources. The teachers are burnt out. And you're dealing with a system that in some senses is very... Uh, it's it's a very complicated system uh, to be, a, you know, a, an, an educator in today's world. 
where mm. the classes are overcrowded. And if you fall out of line, you are a problem for that teacher, you know? Mm. Um, so well, it's I, interesting. I, I, yeah. Yeah. That, well, it's interesting. The, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a given that context plays a big role in the extent to be, the extent in being giving. Does that make sense? Like, like, Sure. Yeah, I think I understand what you mean. Yeah. Although at the same time, have you heard this expression? Um, Creativity loves constraint. That's right. And I I believe in that. I think there has to be some rules. I'm I'm not, you know, I think in all improvisation, there are rules. I think we, Mm. but I think sometimes those rules are self-imposed and self-defined either by the group or by, you know, they're, they're, they're rules that we create. Sometimes they're mm. the rules of the game or the thing. Um, and yeah, you know, I think, I think that that's a, a good thing. And I think it's good to learn those rules. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly believe wholeheartedly in, in that. And I believe that's a lot of what we're doing creatively is, is, is making those boundaries. Because if there are no boundaries, no one is safe. People don't feel safe to create. You have to feel safe to create. Mm. Um, mm. If you don't, you're, you're not going to have a very creative process. And I've certainly mm-hmm. had that challenge in, in my own life and work where, you know, I've seen environments that have had less of a boundaries, you know, and versus environments that have more boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say the environments that a, a lot of times have more boundaries, things run smoother. Sometimes it's the other way. I, it's, it's, I think there's a happy medium typically. Mm-hmm. And it may not be the same always, right? Of course not. I think it's something yeah. that has to be played with, and I think it's something that has to be explored. Unfortunately, you, you brought up school specifically, and it just makes me think of how overtaxed people are in schools, how much, yeah. you know, it's like it's really hard for them to be creative. When I work in schools, I feel like it is my goal to respect the environment, respect the rules, but try to get them to be creative. That's mm. my goal is to shake it mm. up a little bit. Just shake the snow globe a little bit. Not a mm. lot. Enough that it, they feel creative for a, a moment in their day maybe. Mm. That, that's exciting to me. And what's the, what's the hope in having them feel a little creative in their day? Well, maybe they're going to look at somebody that they, you know, and see a, a, an, an, an individual from another perspective. And that may enhance mm. that individual's learning. Um, mm. You know, if they see an activity, you know, if math works better on their feet than in the chair, that may give them some insight to the way that person learns. Mm. And that may be something that helps them work out basic skills. Now, the goal may still be to have them sit with the class. But if at least if they they've realized this one thing, they can they can work back to the chair. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Mm. work back, you know. So Mm. I feel a lot of this is. A lot of our conversation is, is circles around the question of flexibility, adaptation. Huh. Well, I, I feel like one of the things that I really want to teach people and what my goal is sometimes as a teacher is to, to, to work within a kind of an adaptive mindset. Mm. So you are looking at the situation and trying to be adaptive 
and at the same time having having that 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 broader vision where you're mm-hmm. looking at the whole not just the sum of its parts you know you're looking at the whole group too you can't just think about the individuals all of the time a, a lot of these things we're talking about you you know performance is improvisation schools you're working in groups so right. it's it's an adaptive mindset though that allows you to at least change and and be flexible with some of the parameters to ultimately serve i think the greater group you know mm. You know, I've never, <laughs> I've never heard that said. I've only ever heard somebody say the greater good, but man, does serving the greater group sound sexy? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I like. I don't I know like if I've we, ever. I, I definitely have never said it before. So we. This could be the second first ever thing caught on record <laughs> that we did today. <laughs> uh, so a few sort of. Um, Let's pass uh, questions for the end bit here. What are you most proud of in your career thus far? Hmm. I, I think I, I talked about it a bit, but watching watching the success of a lot of the individuals in my group that's that's incredibly fulfilling as as a leader. You know, like that's in, incredibly fulfilling. Um, I think. I'm proud of the fact that I've maybe just had the pure gumption sometimes to go out and and start things, <laughs> you know. And it's not always an easy process. It's always, you know, these these organizations and things like that. They take time and they're really hard. But um, you know, it's like I, I I value that I I I've done it. I I, I think looking back, I, I always go, well, I'm glad at least I tried it. I'm glad at least I stuck a foot one foot forward. Nice. Talking about uh, feet uh, being stepped forward, mm-hmm. y- yonder, um, f- frontfully. <laughs> what are the uh, next uh, feet steps for you in action play? Well, we're we're definitely trying to figure out how we can grow our programs and reach more people. I mean, I think that's that's really front and center of what we're thinking about. Um, so that's, that's one big part of it is how we can kind of offer the AIMS program, for instance, to more people. Um, I'm also super into the, a couple of new initiatives that we've started. We have an audition workshop that's really focused on on-camera auditions because representation is a big topic right now in Hollywood. And we believe that people with disabilities, people who are autistic, should be represented on stage and screen. So we mm-hmm. thought, let's create an audition workshop where you get a headshot, you get the acting coaching, you get a clip, and we're going to do a showcase in front of agents who will give you feedback and may ultimately uh, agents and um, uh, talent, you know, people that are really industry people um, who want, ultimately may want to hire you because they know this dialogue is happening too. And if they don't know it, we're teaching them through the process. So that's nice. something we're really into right now as well. And then this, we just piloted a program called AIMS Mentor, which is a mentorship program started by an autistic um, woman who is a, a, an educator, a career professional. And she really wanted to help mentor some of our students as, as they're becoming adults. 
um, to figure out ways to use their creativity in the careers that they want that may not have anything to do with the performing arts. So mm-hmm. how do you use, you know, your artistic love or whatever your love is um, to look at career paths that may help you along the way, you know, get a job, you know, and it's really a, an employment based program um, from an autistic woman to other autistic individuals and that, and it, and I, I saw the first round that we did and it was, it was beautiful. I mean, just the synergy between, um, that we, we piloted it with one student. It was, it was, it was incredible and it was incredibly move. It was incredibly gr- wonderful for both the instructor and the student. And that's, that's always a great, great situation. So yeah. Win, 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 right? Yeah, that's right. Cool. How can the audience learn more about you and your work? We have a website, uh, actionplay.org. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at actionplayarts. And for me personally, all of my Twitter and Facebook and all of that stuff is at the Feinstein. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to break, you got to break, when you spell Feinstein, you got to break the, the childhood rule of E before I. Right? Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit of appropriate anxiety for that, hey? Yeah, um, ingrained in your, your you know, they do that to you. <laughs> right. Not with my last name, no way. No, hey, you, <laughs> you've been you've been a rebel from the start, hey? <laughs> uh, I guess. Um, but uh, Aaron, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for your playfulness, for your stories, for your outlook on things. Um, and for and for digging around with me, I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was saying. I, uh, you know, uh, these questions come from also trying to figure stuff out, right? Um, and really being inspired by you and how you go about these things. Thank you for inspiring us. <laughs> Thank you for continuing with this playfulness, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. It was an incredibly great opportunity. And I've loved the podcast that I've listened to, the other two that I've listened to so far. And I think they're, you're onto something great here with, with, uh, with the podcast. So, so best of luck. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, dude. The Let's Develop podcast is co-created by Chris Raymond, executive producer, Marlo Zano, producer and digital editor, and yours truly, Artisoyans, host and producer. Music by Chris Raymond. Digital content by Emily Scollin. Special thanks to Brittany Fraser, Jan Wooden, Saeed Raju, and the Eastside Institute. You can find out more about the Eastside Institute at eastsideinstitute.org.